You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. Will you get lucky tonight? That used to be a fun question, even a playfully sexy question. In case you're not sure, it means, will you get laid? In 2019, that question is a provocative one. It has lost its playfulness and innocence. Maybe that's a good thing. Hello, storytellers, and welcome to another opportunity to expand and enrich your world. One of the ways that you can definitely accelerate your growth is by choosing to read more wonderful books. And our sponsor, Audible, offers you a free downloadable audiobook of your choice. You choose from more than 180,000 titles. You get to keep it. And you also get an entire month free of all of Audible service. Go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and choose a form of audio empowerment today. I really value your presence here, your loyalty by listening to this show again and again and I'm going to ask you for a favor. Go to iTunes and leave a rating and a review for this show. One of the easiest ways to do it is to leave a comment about your biggest takeaway from today's episode. And that will help the show to gain more visibility. Then more and more people can have the opportunity like you to enrich their lives. Thank you in advance for doing that. Today's guests are two talented, accomplished performers who are currently in a compelling new play called Come On, Angie by Amy Lee Lavoie at the Assembly Theatre in Toronto. They are Anne Van Leeuwen and Ryan Holloman. Anne plays the title role, Angie, Ryan plays Reed, a guy she knows well, a guy who gets lucky with Angie. The play opens on the morning after Angie and Reed have spent the night in bed. The dramatic war between them begins when their impressions of what happened during sex violently collide. If you are in Toronto or near it, see this play. It raises important questions about human relationships that must be asked. Get ready for a revealing, authentic conversation with Anne Van Leeuwen and Ryan Holloman. Anne and Ryan, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Let's have some fun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What did you feel when you first read Come On, Angie? Um, uh, oh boy. I mean, um, I was, uh, angry. <laughs> um, uh, I felt a lot of compassion for, for Angie. Um, and, uh, recognized a lot of myself and the things that I had been through in it. I, I was definitely interested. Um, when I first was approached about the project, I, I said no just because of scheduling and, uh, other, other, uh, projects. But then I was asked to read the play. And when I did, I, I felt compelled, uh, to make things work so that I could be a part of it because I found it so interesting and pertinent and incredibly well written. Yeah, it is. It is very, very well written. And uh, we're going to do this whole podcast, guys, uh, storytellers. I call my listeners storytellers without 
spoiling it for you, not revealing everything. We must reveal some. Uh, what attracted each of you to the roles? You want to go? Um, oh, sure. Um, well, again, I think it was that kind of um, uh, kindred spirit in Angie that I that I recognized, and I, I admired her um, her bravery in confronting the situation head on, um, which is you know difficult for women to do uh, in the moment. Um, and also, she has. Uh, this incredible sense of humor and intelligence uh, that makes her a, a quite electric character and a, and a dream role to play, really. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it is. And um, you said at first that it made you angry. What was the anger about? Um, that uh, that well, you know. Uh, again, I don't want to uh, reveal too much, but you know. Uh, this idea of consent um, these days <laughs> is a is a tr tricky subject to broach, um, and uh, I guess it made me angry because uh, it made me confront a lot of of stuff from my past and times that uh, you know I wish that I had spoken up, uh, but didn't feel that I could. Um, so, and we'll get more into this later, I'm sure, in the podcast, but, uh, yeah, it, it had a, to do a lot with me having to confront, uh, my past and, and things that I have felt shame and guilt about. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what about you, Ryan? What attracted you to the role? Well, like I said, uh, before, when I first read it, there was an immediate sort of reaction that I had to it that I felt compelled to to do it because uh, without, as we're saying, without giving away too much, I mean, it deals with the communication and miscommunication between this couple that have a history and have an attraction towards each other and a, somewhat of a past, but on their first night of, of you know, hooking up sexually, there is huge communication letdowns as well as uh, non-communicated things that which is very pertinent as far as where we are today with the whole me too movement and time's up and just it's it's a new time it seems and an important time and the amazing thing about this play is that amy lee had written it years before the movement started mm. and she manages to touch on many of the issues that are that we are trying to start and converse about now. So with Reed, I, uh, he's, the interesting thing is that, I mean, it deals with an assault. We could say that and uh, communication about what exactly that includes. And they both have different variations on, on how that transpired. Um, but Reed, I found a really sort of every man, man, in in uh, in a most interesting way, not in a sort of general wash, but someone that's identifiable and someone that's could be considered a good man, but you know, being brought up the way we are and sort of in patriarchal society, and he has expectations that he takes for granted that are rightfully his to make decisions upon, which. You know, I think as hopefully as men, we are learning that's not necessarily the case, and probably never was. Just the checking in factor were never really considered. You know, like I grew up, I'm I'm in my in my mid forties now, <laughs> closing on my late forties, and uh, so I grew up as a kid of the eighties. And you know, if you look at sort of the heroes back then, and you know, dating back even further than that, you. It, it was, uh, you know, you were commended on, on, to be blunt, on, you know, being able to seduce a woman in a way that it almost can be perceived in this conversation as, as, as 
you know, not just persistence, but a little bit of trickery and, and, you know, definitely self-sided. Yeah. Well, so, if, if you guys are interested, I was, I grew up in the sixties and, right. and then that was sexual abandon time. <laughs> so <laughs> I know. Yeah. That's interesting indeed. Okay. Now, did but, he, yeah, like, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say like, you know, we, we look back to like the streetcar named desire or something like that, like the Marlon Brando character and, and how that was perceived as, as true man and machoism. And, yeah. And, and taking the woman and, well, but you know what? The, the difference I would even argue in, even in that play is that I don't think it, we ever condone. It's pretty clear that what he did was violate Blanche. And yes. He, and, 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 and he, th- th- that wasn't a debate. You know, did he, sure, he was uh, admired for his masculinity, but the guy was beyond masculine. He was, he became very brutish. And yeah, that, impressive. Whereas in you, in, in this play, it's not like that at all, which, which is no. what makes it so, so interesting and so dangerous in a way. Cause he could be me, you, it's supposed to be every other guy, every guy can identify with that or they may want, they may not want to, but they probably can. Right. Yeah. Because, sorry. I was just going to say there is a consensual nature that was shared to begin things. Right. Then it's where does it go from there and when do you have to ask for more consent to continue in different ways that might not be communicated. Yeah, exactly. Now, did you guys, each of you, have to overcome any resistance to the play as you worked on it? Um, a, a resistance from from who? Do you, do you... From yourself. <laughs> um... I mean, uh, n- not really. I mean, I, I think I, I knew what I was getting myself into when I signed up for it. And, uh, it, it seemed like a, like a worthy cause. Like I knew that I was going to have to be brave and, uh, confront some demons. And, um, and, uh, yeah, I haven't really dealt with any <laughs> pushback from myself. I guess. Okay, that's good. How about you, uh, Ryan? I, I I kind of feel the same way. I mean, I I was definitely interested in being a part of it, and uh, the you know I was worried considering the environment that if people we didn't want the moniker of it being a Me Too play because it albeit it could fit into that realm it's it's different in the way that it's much more of a conversation it's not uh as most it's definitely not a harvey weinstein case or, or something it's, towards it's not so lines. black and white no yeah. no it's not it's not so um, we uh, go ahead well we were both i mean all of us were kind of concerned that it the scales might be tipped definitely at the start and uh, with uh trigger warnings and such that you know he might be perceived as the bad guy from the get, and then that's a pretty pretty steep hill to climb uh, to get your way sort of back out of that. And I I wasn't resistant at all to that challenge. I just that was something we sort of kept in mind. It's really important that that the audience can listen to both of these characters, right? So if he was so starkly a bad guy from the get go. And nobody listened to him, then the conversation wouldn't happen. Right. Mm, yeah. 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 And if there wasn't care between the two characters to actually listen to each other, that would create a problem as well, because it's it's not necessarily a fight um, trying to shut the other person down as much as open each other up to each other to try to understand their perspectives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a good way of putting it. Now, you may have already touched on this and what we've just said, but I'll ask anyway. What were your biggest challenges in rehearsal, challenges to discovering the characters and, you know, allowing yourself to fit into their skin? Well, I haven't been working out in a while, so I was worried about the towel soon off the top. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> spoken spoken like a true macho guy. <laughs> and I totally relate. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, I think, okay, one of the biggest challenges, uh, for me in the rehearsal process, um, was that, uh, we worked with, with Christina Cugliandro a lot on, um, on gesturing, um, and this idea of making your, your hand, uh, your gestures very specific, um, and I guess I hadn't realized until this point, how often I talk with my hands, uh, and and her saying to us, you know, you lose the text when you're gesturing so much, when you're wildly waving your hands about in front of your face, you you lose a lot of the tension in the line. You don't listen as much because it's a distraction, um, and so. Having that level of specificity was uh, was a challenge. Like we had to be ever vigilant, uh, so focused in rehearsal all of the time to maintain that. I um, love I love that. Yeah, yeah, that's Very great. True. By the way, have the two of you seen the? It's it's on video because it was shot for TV originally. Uh, Macbeth with Judy Dench and Ian McKellen. Yes, yes. Do you yeah. do you remember the stillness of Ian McKellen even in the most passionate moments of the piece? Absolutely. He yeah. was he was hypnotic because like the guy is, he's almost foaming at the mouth and he's he's so still and you're going, oh my god, that's that's control. Yeah. 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 There is so much strength and stillness. You oh, know? No kidding. You just have to trust that. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, did any new emotions come up for each of you as you got deeper into your roles? Absolutely. I, I, I mean, from a male perspective, it's it's quite uh, learning um, as a process and speaking with people after the show. Um, you know, it's it's always eye-opening to really understand another person to walk in another person's moccasins and and you get it quite clearly i mean it is um difficult to face yourself even when you don't think you are wrong about certain things i mean you're always sort of led by your desires and your your insecurities and and where those meet sometimes is is uh and you are always trapped in your own skin so you can't even if you consider yourself a generous and open person sometimes you do things that you're not really aware of the effect um whether it's intended to be malicious or or selfish or not sometimes you uh you know you you learn a lot about yourselves especially with that's why I love theater is great plays. You start and then you get to go through the whole arc together. And this is such a beautiful two-hander in that way. I mean, I, I like to consider myself a pretty open, woken sort of person. And uh, still at points every night, I, I, I get caught at moments of, you know, where he's trying so hard to defend himself that... To be truly objective is almost impossible at points. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially in something as heated, as passionate as that, and as so close to the core. Right. And what about you, uh, Anne? Um, I mean, uh, yeah, I think Angie walks this, this really fine line of, of strength and, and vulnerability. Um, and, and so for me, it's, it's such a balancing act with her because she is trying, uh, to maintain this really strong position, um, and, you know, and not, trying not to go to that vulnerable place to get someone to listen to you, 
right? Which as a woman, I think sometimes uh, you feel that that's necessary. Like if you don't show that you're hurting, then they're not gonna. Then then men don't understand that you are. Um. So, I I guess that's the. The strength and determination of this woman, but but also her um, her ability to listen to him, which I don't think that I I personally would have. <laughs> in, in Although this, it's in very interesting, moment. it is very interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean personally, um, when faced with confrontation. Uh, <laughs> I am not a great listener. <laughs> well, it's, it's like you said, though. I, I, I think, and that's something Christine also worked with us uh, quite intently on. Was I mean, a lot of the gesturing came out of, and the way you do use your hands sometimes, it's in absence of something, or it's an emotionally based thing, or you're gesticulating to be more clear, meaning your words and your intent might not be as clear as you want it to be. So emotion many times gets in the way of your intent to be clear. And uh, so it's it's sometimes used as a device or it's sometimes just a trap that you can fall into that gets in the way of, of truly communicating what you want or what you intend to try to affect upon the other person. Mm-hmm. I had a, a mentor I studied with who has this wonderful expression, high emotion, low intelligence. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and it goes back to that same idea of the, of the gestures and the strength and stillness. Yeah. The uh -huh. cooler you are in the conflict, the stronger your argument tends to be. Right. And truly, as I think we all know, like the best, theater and the best film and, and TV, it's it's where you leave, you give it up to the audience so that you're letting them sort of make their own decisions with the, with the story as well. And if you're filling in all the emotions and dictating to them, you lose them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. It is a good point. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> here's, a, here's a touchy, here's a touchy, what's that? I said I'm pretty highly emotional, so I'm definitely not that smart. <laughs> well, <laughs> listen, I'm about three steps ahead of a dog. <laughs> no, in, play about dogs. Oh yeah, yeah, he's excited. Yeah, dogs are excited all the time. I love dogs. <laughs> in the past. Have either of you behaved like the characters in the play? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> she was so quick. Oh, yeah. yeah. No hesitation. Yep, next question. Yeah, we're about <laughs> <laughs> You don't care to elaborate on that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I think, you know, over the process, Ryan and I have talked about um, how like our characters we we have been in the past um so yeah and it's just you know a testament to how things have changed over the past couple of years as well yeah you know i gotta share something with you guys that the play did for me because i haven't been in a situation where it was that kind of direct confrontation where it was i thought that we had a great time and the woman is going well there's something you're overlooking here you didn't really check in with me blah blah but i have had emotional confrontations where my behavior as far as i was concerned was caring was i was making all sorts of assumptions only to discover that the woman i was talking with was absolutely enraged with me <laughs> and I go, what is happening here? What planet are we on? But when I saw it with your piece, I began to reflect on those moments. Like I said, they weren't the same. It wasn't about 
we've just been to bed, but we were having an emotional conversation in which she was feeling, in a way, emotionally violated. And I'm going, huh? Are you are you serious? You know, but then I realized "Mm, there's more to this than I wanted to admit. Well, absolutely. I think that's a testament to Amy Lee's writing is that it sort of encompasses not just the event of the sexual nature that was miscommunicated and, and, and overstepped to say in a way between these two, but also in a general way, but also a, a very specific general way of the miscommunications between man and woman and how you know, it sort of encompasses more than just sexual nature between these two, but just how we communicate and how difficult it is sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, we get back to the cliche, men are from Mar- women are from Venus, men are from Mars. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a very, very interesting thing, and especially in this context. Now, do your feelings about the characters and their points of view ever fluctuate for you, especially as you were working on it? As actors or as characters? Uh, I would say now as people, like, yeah, as actors and then as people, as you're working on this role, you know, you might be out of the theater actually and thinking about your character and just have at one time feel sympathy, other times feel, wait a minute, no, I'm just curious. Um, yeah, I mean, there are, there are nights, um, I'm just going to speak, I guess, of, of the actual run of the show and not so much the rehearsal process, but there are certainly nights that I am angrier with Reed <laughs> one night and then um, the next night I'm, I'm angrier with myself or mm. with Andy. Um, I think having the audience as a kind of a third character in the room is is interesting. Um, just, just for example, uh, most of the nights uh, I feel as though, uh, and and I could totally be projecting here. I I feel as though um, nobody's laughing at my joke. <laughs> uh, whereas, and everybody is is kind of laughing at uh, at Reed. And his kind of obliviousness or, or whatever it is. Um, it's perfect comedic is, timing. All right. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and it, it can feel like, um, like nobody's on my side. Ah. And then I find my, myself, uh, as Anne and as Angie, ju- judging myself, um, a, a lot more harshly. And, and then one night last week, all of a sudden, everything I said was comedic gold. Yeah. Wow, wow. And, and it completely kind of changed. Uh, like, I just felt so much lighter um, throughout the run of that show. Um, so it's really interesting. The, the audience brings something different every night. And I have to say that the audiences have been about, I would say, 75% to 85% men. Wow, um, interesting. Over the, over the run of this. Last yeah. week we had our talk back, we had a talk back performance. And, um, you know, I started the show with my back to the audience on stage. And I could hear a, a lot of men in the audience. And I was, you know, thinking to myself, oh, look at all these guys just rabble rousing out there. Um, and then, uh, and then I, you know, the show starts and I turn around and I do a quick glance out and it, what, there were, Twenty-three men in the audience and two women. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I don't know what that says or why that is, but it has been interesting. Yeah. It could be that a lot of women are saying to their their partners, "If you don't get to this play, they will be held to pay." Well, I hope that that's the case. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now. Have you guys changed as people since... Oh, I'm sorry. I don't think we got Ryan to answer about fluctuating feelings. No, he's fine. Yeah. 
<laughs> yes, dear. <laughs> that, I've been married a long time, Lewis. I, that, that was great. I know my, I know my spot. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, Ryan. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, without speaking too much, I... <laughs> if I could. I... I it's it's affected good change in me, I think. Um, like Anne said, I've I've been surprised too at at the houses and how how male dominated it seems to be. Hopefully that'll change this week somewhat. But I do, and we've talked about it. I feel not that it definitely isn't as important, and it's not we shouldn't side this at all. But I do feel it's really important for a lot of men to see this. Mm-hmm. Because it really is such a beautifully open um, perspective uh, that I think every everyone that I've talked to has learned something. And like you said, Lewis, like it, even though it's not the actual exact specific events, but it forces you to call upon things in your own life that you can identify to to a certain moment. Yeah, or, yeah, or, because. You know, I, I was really, when I, when I heard from a couple of women I've been involved with, you know, you just don't hear me. You just don't hear me. You just don't hear me. And I would say, get, why don't you just buy Q-tips? You know, like yeah. uh, you, you don't hear me. I mean, you know, uh, you, you need Q-tips to hear me. And I'm going, but now I get it more, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, it's, 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 uh, it's a great dilemma that, and I mean, that happens between men and men and women and women and, I mean, you know, to be truly open and listening is different than hearing. So oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. if you listen, then you've caught the meaning. If you hear, you might only be hearing the words. That's right. You know? Like 90% of everything. So it's it's hard, right? It's hard. And, and I do fall uh, prey to that. I mean, we've we've worked the script pretty intently, and and I, I must say, I love working with Anne, oh. and I think we have a great sort of partnership. You know, I've been in this business a long time now, and and you do like chemistry really matters, and trust really matters. Mm-hmm. And when you want to delve deep, you you sort of have to trust your partner, and mm-hmm. and hopefully have chemistry with that person. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. We enjoyed each other's company and talking and, and so, and Christina was wonderful. We had a great team sort of all around, so it's truly a special project. Yeah. I mean, it could, the nature of this play, it could have been a nightmare in the room, mm-hmm. really having to, to confront all of this stuff and go through all these things, but the, the people in the room really made it, um, well, we talk about it all the time. It's a, it's a weird thing to say that we've had a great time working on this show, but we have. No, I, of course, because it's rich. It's 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 rich. It's not. There's nothing fake about it. You know, it's. Uh, and Christine is the director, correct? Yes, Christina. What's yeah. what's her last name? Cugliandro. What's that? Cugliandro. Okay. Um, we, we actually went to, Amy Lee and Christina and I all went to Bishop's University together. There's a year ago, about 12 years ago, I'm going to say. Okay. And in a nutshell for each of you, have you each changed as people because since this thing began? Um, yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's been kind of a cathartic experience for me because I, because I've had to, to look back at, at all of my various encounters of this nature. I, I think I was holding on to a lot of guilt and shame about, um, how, how those things happen and how, um, you know, I, I played a part in them and I, I think throughout this process have been able to, uh, you know, forgive myself and let myself off the hook for that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been pretty uh, liberating and um, empowering. So thanks, Amy Lee Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I, and you, Ryan? Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm with her on that too. I've unpacked some things and, and uh, 
I I feel richer for this experience and and definitely appreciative and uh, you know you go into different projects never knowing what the outcome will be but this one I went in sort of head first hoping it would be sort of what I'm receiving now and it's it's great it's it's uh, truly like you said it's so rich nothing's yeah. more than, than you know connecting with a person on stage or on film and and that's what we all strive to see when we see great film and theater is people trying to connect and and that are either disconnected but are trying desperately to connect and this piece is exactly what that is and I, I think I think the language you're using now is really important for people to hear because I think right now in the world, sex aside, people are having trouble connecting. Yeah, it's yeah. very divisive. Mm -hmm. Really, very, very interesting thing here. Now, do you believe that a scenario like the one in the play could happen in reverse? And be, before you answer that, you know, this won't give away any of the richness or mystery of the piece for the audience, people listening to this, if you haven't got it already, these two people go have, they know each other. They have a night in bed that seems to be a great night in bed. But in the morning when they're awake, his impression of it was, wow, what great sex. And her impression of it is, you went too far, buddy. And you basically um did not get my consent and that's when that's the war in the play but do you feel that this could happen in reverse um perhaps to a, a different extent i mean what it comes down to really is a failure to communicate um and i think that can happen to anyone yeah yeah, the the degree of which it goes to, maybe not, but definitely, or the act of it, without divulging too much, but definitely the miscommunications can be and have been flipped. I mean, that's something I've I've and I've talked with Anne, told her a couple of my stories, miscommunication where, you know, I I have felt sort of taken advantage of too as a male, you know. Right, and right, right, yeah, yeah. She says she has this great thing about sometimes, you know, you just do something just to make it easier to get out of it, so you allow it to happen, so it'll be over quicker. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. Now, how do each of you feel about this? Is it easier for men or for women to attract sexual partners, or do you think that it's equally tough for both? When we go out there and we're single, let's say, or, you know, you're on the prowl. <laughs> um, uh, oh boy. Well, <laughs> I, I think, you know, maybe one of the major differences here, if, yeah, you're going out and you're single and you're on the prowl as a, as, as a woman, your safety is constantly in peril. Uh, you know, and and that's just something that most men don't have to worry about is their own physical safety. Um, you know, when you're when you're out at night with someone you, you don't know very well, or um, just walking the streets, or even like just walking the streets. Yes, but in specifically with with trying to find sexual partners. Yeah, um, I I agree with you a hundred percent, but. Let's put that aside for a second. Let's assume that you're in a safe environment and you know that. And, but it's all singles and people are there hitting on each other. Now, do you feel that it's easier for men to attract a sexual partner or a guy? Or maybe not. I mean, I'm just curious. I know. That's a tough question. I, that's why I asked it. <laughs> yeah, I see that. I mean, I think it's specific to the people and to the person. Yeah, to to the human. Yeah. I mean, I I, I ignorantly always kind of thought 
as well, and maybe still do. Which I mean, you show interest, and if the person doesn't show interest back, you move on, <laughs> and it's sort of. But some people don't move on, and that's where the pressure comes in, and the safety issues become alarming at points. Is when someone doesn't get a hint that you're not interested in them, no matter how much they are interested in you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I maybe I should ask it like this: Do you feel there's a bias in society? I do. I think there's a bias where that I think. Correct me if you feel I'm off base here, but that men tend to think as a group that it's much easier for a woman who has gone out with the intention of having sex to definitely score than for a guy who goes out with that same intention. Oh, I think you're right. I think men think that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a man. I think that. And, and do you feel that that's accurate or not accurate? I'd love to hear from Annie. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I think it's, it's accurate. Um, I think, uh, that, <laughs> that view, uh, is based on the fact that, uh, that, um, well, you know, Consent exists, and women can say no whenever they want. Should be able to say no whenever they want, and guys have a, a more difficult time dealing with rejection um, than women do. But I, I, uh, I don't know. I mean, God, it's been a while since I've been single. I guess, but okay, that's fair. That's <laughs> yeah, hard. It's a yeah. hard question. But but you said, Brian, that you feel that you you believe that. Well, I mean, you know, that's sort of in a generalization. I I know a lot less picky guys than picky girls, and <laughs> it's, it's, it's societal, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, it's interesting. Whether that's like, but I think you know, and I'm sort of what I've learned throughout my years that the drive is the same to sort of be intimate with each other but guys sort of have the notion of getting laid you know whereas that's not as generally heard from women that they're going out to get laid as if it's a, a foregone conclusion that's how the night's going to end but that's that seems to be I, and I remember you know when I was single and a lot of my friends and stuff like that was let's go out and get late tonight, and then you, you wind up all driving home together later. <laughs> being, ah, well, that, let's try again tomorrow. <laughs> you know, hey man, that girl was smiling at you. She really liked you. How do you know that? Like, <laughs> yeah. I think, um, Lewis, I think you're right that it is that, that men certainly perceive that that is the case. Whether or not it's true, I don't know, but I do think that men. <laughs> <laughs> think that they have a harder go of it than women do. Poor, yeah, because they, they they try so much. Yeah. It's not even as hard, but they try a lot. Yeah. You know? I just recently saw a stand-up routine by Amy Schumer. Oh, yeah. yeah. And she said, I love performing in New York because when I'm here, it's really easy for me to get laid. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, honestly, that's not the first thing you hear from a woman. No, and but she she's in your face, as we know. Um, now, do you feel that men and women today need a new vocabulary completely to approach each other as friends and lovers? Not a new one from me, but a better one. Mm. I, I mean, I had an older brother that was always... Uh, you know, kind of better looking and taller and stronger and stuff. And, and one thing he sort of taught me, I would say, is always be honest. And that's sort of, once I really truly learned that, it helps to communicate. So, you know, checking in with your partner, even if you think, I mean, not excessively. And I think that's one of the big misconceptions with 
the way things, the movement has made things is that, and my, my character has lines that sort of suit that argument from a male perspective, like what you have to ask for every time I have to put a finger on you or, or I'm going to kiss here, I'm going to put my hand on your breast here, you know, like it's not, it's not that rudimentary. There's, you develop a trust and an open communication with each other that you are aware of each other's signs and, and mm-hmm. that communication is the trust that has to be deeper than what it was. Yeah, it's just openness to communicate, I think. But yeah, I would agree with Brian that it, it, it comes down to just communication and, and trust and, um, Perhaps managing expectations. Yeah, and I think like with the whole Me Too thing, and I've had the conversation with numerous people that I think the fear is that it'll become too scientific and too, um, you know, consent means it's overall the important thing, but how you go about getting it doesn't have to be as minute and uh, anally, no, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> you know, as, as, and, as, and, and it doesn't have to be coldly analytical. Yes. Thank right, you. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you said that because yeah, I was going to ask you, is there any downside to Angie's position in the play? And maybe that could be that if people went too far with it, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you see any other downside, possibly, to Angie's position? Um, what, um, what, what do you what do you mean by downsides, and and which position? Sorry, her posi- her position of of um, being as confrontational about what consent is could that be taken? Could it be misapplied and be used as something manipulative? Um, no, I mean, yeah, I think it's just about, it, it, it's just about the communication thing and, and, and feeling like you can trust someone. And, you know, if you are really open with, with your wants and your needs, sexually speaking, that can, there can be quite a liberation in that communication. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I get you. That's true. That's very true. Now, what's interesting to me is that I feel patriarchy as a dominant worldview is crumbling in many first world countries. I had to qualify that because it's definitely not crumbling in many other countries. But do you feel, each of you, that women are better suited to creating world peace? Yes. Next question. Yes. (laughs) Yes, dear, and yes, I fully agree. Okay, why? I think, I mean, once again, we're generalizing, but we've had a go at it, and it really hasn't worked out that well. (laughs) And, I I mean, you know, you look at, I I think a mix is, like a mix of everything is what hopefully globally we're heading towards, racially, sexually, uh, you know, every sort of representation of, of the peoples of the world will help the peoples of the world get along better. Um, the patriarchal society and religious sort of structures in a patriarchal sense, it's, it's not inclusive, right? Mm-hmm. 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 So, and I mean, generally generalizing women's nature is more forgiving and accepting and, and communicative. Yes. So I, 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 I think if we strike an equal balance is the ideal goal. But yeah, we, I mean, look at our premieres. We don't have any women premieres now. And like, what's going on with that? They're half the population. Yeah. And the ones that were here have done well. Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. still surprising that here we are. Yeah. And the, and still even equal pay. Yeah. I mean, the patriarchy may be crumbling, but it ain't happening fast enough there, Louis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of good men that should be in charge, you know, just like a lot of good women that should have the chance to be. So maybe in the U.S., if a woman president with a with a male vice president, 
I would have preferred that yeah. than what we have now. Well, let's not even go there. I mean, no, uh, you that's, know. A, that's a year's worth of podcasts. You know. Yeah. <laughs> we won't even go there. Um, why did you become actors? Um, well, I mean, that's kind of a long story. I, I went, I'm going to, I'm going to sum it up real quick. I went, uh, I took dance class from the age of four to, uh, 18. And, um, my, my parents, though supportive during those years, when I wanted to pursue it as a career, uh, going forward, um, I think they knew what I didn't, which was that, you know, I just wasn't good enough. Um, <laughs> no how much I loved it. Um, and so, you know, my, my mom had suggested, uh, well, what about theater? Um, which is very rare for a parent to suggest. I know, I know. Okay, so I, I missed something there. What, you weren't good enough to do what? To dance, to pursue dance. Oh, to dancing, okay, okay, okay. Um, so, and I went to Bishop, um, to pursue theater, having never really done it before, um, although I had been, my parents had taken me, um, to the theater from a very young age. I mean, I loved it, just didn't consider it as an option. And then as soon as I got out there in university, I was like, oh yeah, this, this is it. This is it for me. Okay. Um, huh? Thanks for that. Look at this strong and steady bill-paying career I've chosen to do. I also grew up in the world of dance. I was a... <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I grew up here in Toronto as a... I was kind of an athlete, sort of driven family. My dad was an athlete and my brother wound up playing professional hockey. I grew up as a hockey player. And I was always kind of, like I mentioned, sort of hinted upon it, the little brother and kind of a class clown and stuff. And I I sort of grew up, my mom uh, took me to the theater growing up in the city. And and uh, I remember, you know, seeing George Walker plays and stuff as a teenager and, and being, I've sort of done theater for a long time. And I did uh, some TV stuff when I was little. I, I through hockey, funny enough, I, I wound up being a sort of roving reporter for back in the days of Take That on CBC. And I would interview other kids about, you know, different topics and stuff. So I kind of got the bug then. And, and then as I was getting out of hockey, I, I sort of, uh, put all my eggs in that basket. And, and sort of just have been pursuing that ever since. I went to school in Montreal at Concordia and you, I, you I, can't, wait a minute. You went, I taught at Concordia in the drama program. When? In the nineties? No, no, I was already okay. gone by then, but yeah. I, I mean, I know your name from other things, but I, I wonder if I knew it from there as well. Name one of your teachers, a few of your teachers. I have, well, some of my favorites were mostly the part-time teachers, to be blunt. But, uh, you know, I had Joel Miller was one of my great teachers there. Jerry Gross taught me directing, which I learned a lot from. I loved, Jerry was a really good man. Very good man. He sure was. I loved, I loved Jerry. And I actually, as an actor, learning a director's perspective, I found incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, I got to do a lot of great work. I, I had a lot of trouble in high school, Lewis, because when I was getting out of hockey, I kind of lost my identity. And, you know, I was smoking a lot of dope and doing a lot of bad things. And, and, uh, acting kind of saved me, saved me and sort of kept me driven to do something other than just, you know, hang out and try to get laid. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. That's, that's, that's interesting. Uh, I'm just sure I, I, I was an aspiring ballerina until hair grew on my legs. Really? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we all have that in common. <laughs> Funny, my dad was my hockey coach for years. <laughs> I, at one point I played, you know, when we're at, when we're young kids, we sort of, my dad, kept the same team together for a long time and we had one of the best teams in the country at that time 
And uh, my dad made us take ballet lessons as a hockey team. Wow. And other teams would mock us. And uh, But uh, I can't tell you what that did. First of all, for the humility, but second, for gelling us as a team and also presenting us with different balance techniques and all that. Mm. So it was pretty forward, my dad. With, with hockey, did, did you see the sitcom Rent-A-Goalie? Yeah, I, I worked on it actually with Chris and and uh, both of them. When they were putting it together, I was their resident reader. For well, do you realize I played, I, I played Johnny in that? Yeah, I remember that. Was, okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to our fun conversation about, come on, Angie, can, can you guys see yourself doing anything else besides acting? No. Professionally? That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would love to be a National Geographic photographer. Okay. But I've been another passion of mine, but that's not really happening. Okay. <laughs> And, and and Angie, no, that's it. This is it for you. Um. Well, I mean, let's face it, Lewis. I I work just about every restaurant in the city. Um, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> uh, that's not our passion. It's not my passion. <laughs> I've um I've always loved the idea of of teaching, and you know, that's the way a lot of actors go in the end. And uh, you know, I think there's still room for that for teaching. Um. But but really, uh, acting is kind of it for me. Wonderful. Now, for each of you, is there one role that's at the top of your acting bucket list? To play? Excuse, to play, yeah. One, one to play coming up, you mean, or one that sort of rung a bell in the past? No, no. In your On your bucket list, it would be something that you you have to do. You're just burning to do before you stop acting, before you leave this planet. Lady Macbeth. Wonderful. Yeah, I could see you doing that too. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, Uh, you could, you could channel Angie into that. Oh, a hundred percent. Oh. And what about you, uh, Ryan? It's funny. I, as far as Shakespeare, Benedict is, is one of my favorite roles. I, oh, just an interesting. Did you? Yeah. (laughs) Benedict in, in, much ado. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I was supposed to do it years ago, and then I had to make a different choice, and it's sort of always burned inside me as something I wanted to do. But, uh, yeah, that, that would definitely be up there. Mm. Now, each of you, if you could wave a magic wand and change just one thing in the world, what would it be? Um, I, uh, <laughs> equal rights, okay. I think, uh, you know, whether that's, uh, gender based or race based or, um, you know, sexual orientation based. Just, sure. Just overall, equal rights. And you, yeah. Ryan? I, um, well, I'm like an asshole if I don't say that. No, 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 it's not true. It's not true. No, but I, I, I eradicate disease. Okay, well, that's 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 a big one. That's fabulous. Yeah. yeah. Do you each have a favorite book? Um. No, I mean they always change. <laughs> okay. I think it depends. I'm a huge right now. I just everything by Kate Atkinson. I'm I'm gobbling up. That that's what's on my nightstand right now. What's what particular book by Kate Atkinson? Uh, Transcription. What what is it? Transcription by Kate Atkinson. Okay. Excellent. And what about you, Ryan? Well, I just uh, finished, which I loved, was Dirt by Motley Crue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very enjoyable, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Do, do, do you have favorite? Do you have favorite quotes? Um, I do. I do. Thank you for sending this question in advance because I had to find it. Uh, unless you want to take this one, I, I have well, one. I, I, I have to make it up. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, mine is a it's a Calvin Coolidge oh. quote. Um, here it goes. Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. 
Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education alone will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. Omnipotent, Jesus. Mm. Omnipotent. That was a long one. Yeah, what you got? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Just off the head, live and let live has always been one of my favorites. And, uh, yeah. To thine own self be true. To thine own self be true. Well, and it must funny. follow. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny. A lot of Shakespeare quotes pop up, but. Mr. Yeah. Mr. Polonius. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Neither and nor lender B is also <laughs> that really does change things. Yeah. Yeah. Another yeah. Great one. Yeah. <laughs> so any final thoughts and I think you should also uh definitely tell this the Toronto audience all the details about your show and where they can see it, etc. Um right, okay. So we are on tonight through Saturday at the Assembly Theatre um, in Parkdale, which is 1479 Queen Street West. Uh, the show is at 8 p.m. Um, I think tonight we're sold out. I but... think we are sold out tonight, uh, as Amy Lee Laval will be joining us after the show for the talk back, so that was a hot ticket. Um, I mean... Uh, yeah, final thoughts. Come and see this show. It's so it's so important. It's so relevant. Um, do, you, do you close on Saturday? We close on Saturday. We're supposed to. We talked about possibly extending it, but we're also hoping that we partner up with a different company that will present us in one of their theaters, per, perchance maybe Factory or Tarragon. Or yeah, maybe hi Factory, hi Tarragon. Yeah. What's up? <laughs> well, I could see yeah. I could see that happening. So, guys, if you're interested, uh, you just go on to Google and put in fact, I mean, Assembly Theatre Toronto, and you'll get all the data and you'll be able to buy your tickets online, etc. Uh, that's great, man. That's, um, any final thoughts from you, uh, Ryan? Well, just thanks, thanks for doing this. We, we, it's fun always hanging out with Anne, and this was another fun experience, and thanks for your questions and, Hopefully to your listeners there, they get out to see it. And, and yeah, hope you have a great day. Thank you. Very, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, it's rare that I get, talk to, uh, uh, that I have other actors on the show. I know. It's, um, thanks again. Anytime. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Thank you, storytellers, for being part of this experience today. Enrich others by letting them know that they can hear this too on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, and at the website changeyourstorypodcast.com. At the website, you will find a free gift that I've created for you, a downloadable ebook called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. You can get instant access to it right now by going to changeyourstorypodcast.com and downloading your free copy. Also take advantage of the gift that our sponsor Audible is offering to the listeners of this show. That is a free audiobook of your choice and you get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. In the spirit of giving, I'm going to ask you to give me a few more moments of your time by going to iTunes and in the podcast category, finding Change Your Story, Change Your Life. And where you see that you can leave a brief review and a star rating, in the review, just state what your biggest takeaway was from today's episode. And I hope that I've earned a five-star rating from you. When you do that, you're telling iTunes to allow the show to climb the ranks. Then more people will find it and be able to enjoy it. If you haven't already subscribed to the show and you're getting value from it, 
Then subscribe while you're visiting iTunes. One final thought. Whenever you find yourself facing a decision that's hard to make, stop. Don't let your mind work hard. Just take a deep breath and then ask, how can I change my story and change my life? Then pause for a moment and allow the answer to come to you. I look forward to sharing another enriching experience with you on the next episode. Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.